listening to Fox Sports Radio. 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 This is Straight Out of Vegas with the voice of Vegas, your host, R.J. Bell. The pregame show America has always wanted. I doubt the future. I doubt the future. From the Vegas Strip, here's RJ Bell. Let's do our let's do the Vegas lead as the Super Bowl market update, and then we'll go to the LeBron. Okay, so with the Super Bowl market update, the total and the side remain the same as yesterday. It's in between Rams four and four and a half, and the total remains at forty eight and a half. And we were mentioning Cooper Cup now plus five fifty to be the MVP was plus six fifty as of yesterday. Okay, it seems like a good market update. What do you think? I'm not sure what else I'm supposed to say. No. <laughs> I mean, like, okay, there it is. And I do think it's noteworthy that the Super Bowl is the most the liquidity in that market, which is another way of saying the amount of money bet is the highest of any sports bet of the year. It doesn't matter. You can say World Cup. You can say whatever. It's number one. Super Bowl side is going to get the most action. Okay, what does that mean? It means that if one, there's no real reason to wait. If you're a humongous batter, and let's put like, you know, humongous batters are different, right? The average bet in this country is like 20 bucks. So that you can say is a low number, yeah, but it's like average. Okay, fine. Then a nickel, you, you hear nickel batters. What does a nickel batter mean? A nickel batter is 500 on a game, right? So that's a, unless you bet three games, you got 1,500. That is significant, significant. But man, oh man, there's many levels above that. You get a typical professional, a guy that lives in a nice neighborhood. Maybe they have a gated community, you know. But those guys bet two, three thousand a game. Now that's usually that's big money. Then there's a, a category that's way up on top. It's the syndicates. It's those groups of six, eight, ten people all pool their money. They might get investors. And they bet six figures a game. There's not that many of these groups, but they're there. During the regular season, I don't care if it's NFL or not, and NFL has the most action in general, so let's use that as an example. Overnight on Sunday, meaning the week before, you can only bet a certain amount. Then Monday, the limits go up a little bit, but you know not drastically. Then on Thursday, in some places, they go up again. Why do the books do this? Because they get more liquidity, more betting on the game. They feel more confident of their line. Remember... It's not the bookmakers, it's not the sports books that are super smart. They're smart because they're in the right business, but they put that initial line out tentatively. They're like, okay, I'm thinking it should be this. Like this line opened three and a half. Well, immediately it was bet up to four. So it's like the better said, we disagree with you. We're going to show you we think it should be Rams four, not three and a half. And then it went up to four and a half. Now it's kind of wavering in between the two. Now there's billions have been bet on it. The certainty the books have of this line being right is so much more than it was a week ago because of all the liquidity that's come in. Typically, it's not till game day in the NFL that you can feel like, okay, all the bets have been made. It might be an hour or two before the game. There's still bets to come in, but it took that long for the books to feel really sure. That's why they move up their limits on game day big, right? All the way through Sunday, you know, up till Sunday, it's a certain limit. Then on game day, it goes up. 
in the Super Bowl, there's so much that's been bet already. The limits are max everywhere, and thus the line is more accurate, which means actually there's less chance to bet value because the line is super accurate, and we can see in the last couple of days where it really hasn't moved. At what point in these in these two weeks between the AFC NFC Championship games and the Super Bowl do the books say, "Okay, wide open, no limits"? Well, it's, each book's going to have a certain amount of risk tolerance, right? It takes risk tolerance to have any limits if you're the world opener, right? Because you're the you literally are coming into a vacuum. Think about a blank sheet of paper. What should this line be? You put the first number up. You know what? You could be wrong. And those books are really confident to put even the first number up at lower limits. I think in the Super Bowl, you get past that first, and this is subjective, but you get past that first weekend where you now you're eight days or so on this past Monday since the bet opened, like the prior Sunday, is the limits have been high and, and we see it. There literally, there was a move on Thursday. To like over the weekend that went down, it was it was Bengals money, a little downward pressure. We came on Monday, we led the whole week off with, hey, there's been Bengals money over the weekend. The line hasn't really moved in the market since. Now, a given book might go up or down, but to me, this I'd be very surprised if this line varies much. I mean, it could go to three and a half, it could go to five. You give me a bet, this line closes between three and a half and five. I would take major money that it doesn't go outside that range. Now, you've talked before a lot about the the public loves to bet favorites and overs. Do you see late in the like when the public money typically comes, which is later in the week, uh, you know, leading up maybe a lot of it on game day maybe, do you see the over and the and the Rams taking money here? Yeah, I, you know. And will it be enough to move anything? Well, now see that second question is a key one. First thing I'll say is this. I'm going to backtrack just a minute. When I said three and a half to five, I'd be shocked otherwise. I'd be crazy shocked, like I'm going to fall on the floor that if it goes to three. Meaning, I think the downward pressure stops at three and a half no matter what. Okay? Um, three being such a key number, being an example. But also, it being mostly Rams action so far, though I know the line hasn't moved upwards all that much, that's where the splits are. I'd be shocked. Now, the thing is, the opposite of key numbers, I don't know if they're unkey, but not key, is five is a dead number, they call it. Four is half a key, but boy, to go from four to four and a half is something, but to go to four and a half and five is nothing. Five to five and a half is nothing. Right. So it could go up to, I would say, now it seems like I'm going kind of too broad, but I don't see it going above five and a half or below three and a half. Which six would be another semi key number. Yes. Yeah. So four, and, and that's a way to think about it. I think between, and I do think this wavering between four and four and a half is important because right now you can bet four at some places, four and a half at others, and there is what we call a sharp square book variation. Or there, there is a situation where the sharp books are one way, the square books are the other. Now, what is a sharp book? What's a square book? Is We know what a sharp batter is, and we know what a square batter is. Well, it's those books that cater to a certain type of batter. So, here in Vegas, the Circa, the Westgate are two books. You could say the South Point. They're kind of sharp books. They're not afraid to take a bet. Now, some are more afraid than, you know, even like a South Point. Like, they ban Fezzik. He's out. Yeah, they said, we want no more your action. Now, how sharp can a book be? But let's, you know, in some ways they are sharp. Let's give them credit. But in Vegas, there's not a ton of sharp books because it's a recreational city, a lot of tourists coming in. But if you look at the sharp books, they have the Rams at four and a half. 
the square books, Caesars, that they take big bets everywhere, right? Or they take a lot of betting, but it's recreational. FanDuel, etc., DraftKings. FanDuel and Caesar specifically have the line Rams four. So if you think about that four, four and a half divide, it's more of a sharp square divide. And it is sharp books saying Rams four and a half, square books saying, no, 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 Rams four. Thus they like Cincinnati, or at least they're getting Cincinnati action, which to me is very surprising. Is if you add it up, if you add it up, in general, the sharps like dogs and the squares like favorites. This is a rare. Fa- uh, phenomena. Yeah, phenomena. But what I was thinking is it's a rare case of where the squares like the dogs. It's an attractive public dog is what people call it. And I think that's a good name. The public likes the dog. Why? Because they're thinking, I get Joe Burrow and I get points? Sounds pretty good. And the Sharps are saying, look at these numbers. The Rams are so much better. Thoughts? Now, do, do any of these numbers, we, we talked about this earlier in the year, too, have futures coverage ba- built into these numbers? Like, is there, are there, is there a certain uh, risk that they've got in futures that they're looking to avoid? Okay, so that concept happens occasionally. When it does, it's a very, it's an opportunity. I don't think it's this here. And what AJ's talking about is, let's say that you, and, and a good example was in the NCAA tournament, maybe six, seven years ago now, is there was an underdog that made it that was a real shocker. It wasn't the George Mason one, which was... Loyola. Okay, uh, that may be it. Uh, I know they were a shock. Did they make the Final Four? They made the Final Four. Okay. I don't know if that... It doesn't matter. It was a big, long shot, and they had massive exposure, meaning people bet them to... This, let's say it's Loyola. I'm not sure if it was, is, but it doesn't matter. They were a big underdog that made the Final Four. Now, in the semis, they wanted to hedge. The books did. They wanted to hedge against this exposure, because if this team won and won again, they were going to get carried out, as some people say. The books were in trouble. So, what did they do? They skewed the market line on the side bat for the semifinals to make it where they said, okay, well, we don't want, if this team wins, we're in trouble. Well, we want to get action so we can hedge out on that. And, and how would you hedge out on that? Well, let's see. If you don't, if you, would, you would want it to be that you lose money if this underdog won. Thus, you'd want to have it where there was extra money the other way. And thus, it was an example where the market and the spread didn't really represent the chance to win. It represented what the books wanted because they wanted to be lopsided. So, let's say, for example, uh, let's say it was this game, Cincinnati or the Bengals and the Rams. And let's just say someone at your book, not across all the betting markets, but at your book, it's the AJ book. You're, you become a bookie at this point, AJ, just for, the, just for this hypothetical. You became a bookie. And let's just say that you've got a t- – and you know what's a good example of this? Is back in the day when there were local books. If you read old 1980s gambling books, one of the great things they'll say is, well, get yourself a bookie in Dallas, get yourself a bookie in Philadelphia, get yourself a bookie in New York. Then, when the Eagles play the Cowboys, well, in Philadelphia, what are they going to do? They're going to make Philadelphia expensive. So, the Eagles might be pick them there, but in Dallas, Dallas is laying three. right Now, back in the old days, there were variations like that. And if you, you could bet one at one place, one at the other, and have a, a middle, as they said. So, there's reasons other than the actual, what's the chance to win the game, that the line will be different. And when it is, it's an opportunity because those reasons don't matter to you. You don't have any exposure. You can just bet into them. 
I think in this case, neither of these Rams or Bengals have the exposure in the futures market, which would make it where the books wanted that lopsided action. But you know what? I think it'd almost be impossible in the Super Bowl anyway, because the market is so big for the side betting that any future exposure would be small compared to that. There is one more. There is one more powerful once a year situation in the Super Bowl. And that's the following. If the sports books lose, it changes their entire month. And that can cause people to get fired. So think about the way these sports books operate. Typically, they've been amenities, as in, hey, Caesars has their entire operation, and one piece of that operation is book and sports. And once a month, all the VPs go up to the top floor, they eat danishes, and they go around the horn. How's Penny Slots doing? How's Black Table Games? However they split it up at the given company. There might, you know, eight, ten different VPs. They get around to sports books, and you hear the guy go, uh, we took a loss last month. It's like, what? We didn't take a loss of pennies. Well, there's a variation. You know, there is randomness. We don't want to hear that. And even if they don't get fired right there, they're getting, they're not going to get promoted. There's a black mark. There's a black mark. Great. Now, in the long run, you make the most money being willing to have some losing months if it means the volume goes up enough that you make more in the long run. But if your goal isn't maximizing profit but avoiding any losing months, you're going to approach it differently, right? What's your risk tolerance? The Super Bowl is the one game that it's the one game can swing the whole month. And thus, they don't want to be lopsided, even if they think it's better. So let's say, for example, it's Portland State in college basketball versus Gonzaga. A lot of people don't care. It's, it's February. It's, it's a Tuesday night. Nah, it doesn't really. Minus 32. If, it's, if the line's 32, <laughs> but it, let's say it's 80-20, the betting is to Gonzaga. And you know what? They're fine with that because they think that Portland State's at least the right side or maybe even 50-50. Okay. If they lose it or win it, there's going to be a, a couple dozen of those results in a month. But if you're 80-20 in the Super Bowl and you lose, it ruins your whole month. And thus, the VP doesn't want that. So, in a weird way, the books are more inclined to move the line in the Super Bowl because they're trying to avoid getting lopsided action where other times they're okay with it. And it makes it even more impressive, more impressive that this line hasn't moved literally since the end of last week. This line feels very solid. Be sure to catch live editions of Straight Out of Vegas weekdays at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. Audiences more than doubled in the last year plus, and we really appreciate that because that's your support, and we'll keep supporting you. You can listen to us on 225 stations nationwide. Just go to foxsportsradio.com, find out that station if you don't know, or you can just stream it right there here in Vegas on the Strip. Yes, it's springtime, 76 degrees, the neon is flowing. Beautiful. Giannis with a beautiful night, 44 points on 17 of 20 shooting, 14 rebounds, 8 assists in a dominant win, 131 116 for the Bucks at the Lakers. And this was a game that if you eye tested it, there were obviously the score, obviously the margin. You know, Bucks were favored by three and a half, just dominated. It looked like LeBron, you know, really played a hell of a game. 20, I mean, look at the stat line of LeBron 27 points, mighty good. 11 of 19 on field goals. That's excellent. Eight assists, filling up the stat sheet, five rebounds, pretty good. 
<clears throat> excuse me, Anthony Davis, 22 points. He only missed two shots. <laughs> Eight of 10, nine rebounds. Assuming LeBron and Anthony Davis are healthy, and that's a big X factor now for quite a while, both of them being on the court, and both are hyper-efficient, 11 and 19, 8 of 10, and you lose by 15 points at home? Not good. They asked LeBron, and there's two parts to this. All right, It was post-game press conference, and we got the sound. They asked LeBron the first question, and then there's a follow-up, and that's key. The first question, was, and I'm not sure if the sound has the question, was the variation. It does. Okay, so let's just listen to it. Let's listen. I know it's a regular season game, but against the defending champs, does this one just kind of hit different, especially since you, know, you guys were kind of looking up at them when they had a 30-point lead on you guys? Does it hit different in the sense of what? Does it tell you something deeper about your team compared to? Yeah, it tells us we ain't we ain't on their level. I mean, I probably I'd have told you that before the game started. Do you think you can reach that level? Where they are right now, um, I don't know. Um, do I think we can reach the level where Milwaukee is right now? Um, no. That what you that what you want to hear from me? Go ahead, you want to follow up? I will hope so, but right now, we don't know. We can't get to where they are right now. I mean, they're the defending champions for a reason. And I, get, I guarantee if you would have asked teams coming out of bubble if they could get to the level that we were playing at when we won a championship, they'd say the same thing. Okay. Now, if you, you know, there was video on this, and what it really struck me watching was like LeBron realized he was thinking through the question and think about it. They're saying, hey, why, you know, was this significant or whatever? And you know, are you as good as those guys? Well, obviously they're not right now. That was an easy one. And they just got hammered. That's the typical, you know, like it's hard to say we're better than the team that just crushed us. But then couldn't you get there? Which really means, do you have any reason to play the rest of the season? Right? The Lakers are playing to win titles. LeBron's playing to chase Jordan. And it's LeBron saying, we can't really accomplish the goal that would make this a successful season. And with all the Westbrook talk, all the LeBron and MJ foolish talk, in my opinion, this is more or less saying the season's over for the Lakers. Now, he could be wrong, though let's be candid. LeBron's not known for being pessimistic. Now, he's known for making excuses or saying things were harder maybe than they objectively were, but it doesn't change that he always has been confident. I have been ambivalent about LeBron. you got to appreciate his production, his longevity. I didn't think he had that last little gene, the Michael gene. Now, listen, there might not be a Michael gene. Maybe it was just things got lucky. For my, I don't know. I don't think so. But LeBron has been a hell of a basketball player by any assessment. But this is the first time he seemed human, you know, and human as in not a superhero, not a guy that you can't even relate to. You could say, well, what would LeBron do? Well, I don't know, because LeBron's at this other level. LeBron looked like he was at everyone. And it was like, imagine being the best player in the world and thinking you can't. And Anthony Davis, by all accounts, is a top 10 player. I mean, I think he's better than that yeah. when he's healthy and ready to go. But. It's like if you got you who wants to be the best player of all time, you know, wants to be considered that, 
and you got another guy that's a top 10 or better player now, how can any team be that much better than you? You know what? They can't, but they are. What does that mean? It means LeBron knows now, by his own statement, he's no longer the guy that can put a team on his back. And he looks around the rest of his team saying, it's not here. Well, And it's especially wild to say that while you're sitting next to Anthony Davis. But I think outside of those two guys, they've just basically gutted this roster. And really, they gutted it. We've talked, we talked about it a couple weeks ago. They gutted it for Russell Westbrook. And that trade looks worse week by week. It looks worse. And it may be the mistake that, that costs LeBron any shot at late career rings. Yeah, it'll be interesting. Is the ramifications of that Westbrook decision more than this year? Because I know the contract... I mean, it's surprising in the NBA, the contracts you can get off of that you wouldn't think you can. I mean, remember, it was Chris Paul and Westbrook that were traded... Not, for each other. For, and they both were considered dump jobs at the time. Yep. right? And, and Chris Paul obviously has rejuvenated his career. Plant-based diet you know, is what I hear. But again... One, this says a ton about the Lakers this year. And two, it probably is the, you know, it's now a new era where LeBron is, is not a role player, but LeBron is a compliment to a really a championship team. He's not the, he can't be the best player on a championship team anymore. And I think he really, it looked like, if you watch this, it looked like, and you heard it in his voice. This wasn't irritation, this wasn't just weary. It was resignation. He was resigned to this new reality. And you know what? I actually feel sorry for him. Not in, a, not in a snarky way at all. I'm saying this is a guy his whole life has known no limit, as in if he plays his best, he thinks he, could, he thought he could do anything. You know how few people ever feel that on earth? He was one of them in front of the world, and it probably doesn't meet reality anymore. It's probably not the case. And even though I... Most of us would say we've never felt that even once to see someone feel it and have it taken away. Father time, undefeated. Be sure to catch live editions of Straight Out of Vegas weekdays at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific. Hey, what's up, everybody? It's me, three-time Pro Bowler LeVar Arrington, and I couldn't be more excited to announce a new podcast called Up on Game. What is Up on Game, you ask? Along with my fellow Pro Bowler, TJ Hushmanzada, and Super Bowl champion, yep, that's right, Plexico Burris. You can only name a show with that type of talent on it. Up on Game. We're going to be sharing our real-life experiences loaded with teachable moments. Listen to Up on Game with me, LeVar Arrington, TJ Hushmanzada, and Plexico Burris on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Let me ask you this, AJ. Team <clears throat> team building in the NFL. How do you build a winner? I think it's a fascinating question. And the Rams have done it differently than any team ever, really. Rams have done it like an NBA team. I know. When you say that, what do you mean? I mean, they've co- tried to concentrate on star, almost like the Lakers, tried to concentrate on stars and using filler players around those stars who are probably below average players well, in hopes that the stars will buoy the rest of the, the roster. Yeah, I wouldn't say below average, but it brings up an interesting point. Like at PFF, they have something called war uh, wins over replacement. So the theory is, okay, there's a certain level you can get no matter what. Because the next players, like there's 32 kickers, 
And then there's another one, two, three, four, five, ten, whatever, that are waiting on the couch. Right? They're there. And you see it all the time with kickers. Guy, four or five years, doesn't stick with a team, finally gets sticks and stays for another ten or whatever. So the difference between the 25th best kicker and the 45th is maybe imperceptible. You can't even tell who's better. It's just who knows, right, why they pick who they do. I don't think the Rams are below average at other places. I think they're probably average and a little better. But most of the value of the team, the team that what makes them good, is in the stars. Whereas other teams, like a no-name defense, everyone might be 10% better than average. And you add it up, and it's a good team. Or you can have a average players and then two or three guys that are way above average, and that adds up to a good team. Those are two different teams. But two different, you know, how top-heavy is the team? Right. And my only distinction would be I don't think the Rams have a bunch of below-average players. But they're very top-heavy. Yeah, top-heavy, I, th- I agree with 100%. I think it was another part to this. They're trading, uncert- or they've traded, uncertainty, which are draft choices. No matter how many draft choices you have, there's a lack of certainty about the value of them. Trevor Lawrence, for example, that was considered to be a very valuable draft choice. Now, not so much. I got to be honest. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe people are going to play tapes or whatever. Okay. Speaking of that, I'm just going to say this once and say it every day. The Tom Brady is coming back talk. It's gotten a little different, hasn't it, AJ? And you were the first one to say it. Don't I said, forget that. I said, I don't know. I think maybe he just changed his mind. And you said, I don't, I don't know. I don't think it's as simple as that. And I think maybe you were right. Listen, six, like a week after he retires, he's already talking about exactly come back. I mean, usually, even when people get married in Vegas, it's a couple weeks before they regret. Uh, exactly. Give me a, a month or two. Like, give me past the Super Bowl at least. Uh, so, I mean, to me, let's just say, if you get sick of me saying I told you so, then deal with it. But I'll say it succinctly when I do. Plenty more where that comes from. Let's hope. Let's hope. I mean, there might be a parade if he ends up coming back. All right. But anyway, is with the uncertainty of draft choices is something that is coveted by most teams. It's always like, oh, these draft choices, they're so valuable. The Rams said, you know what? I'd rather have a Ramsey. Even have to pay. Remember, they traded for him to the Jags, and they had to pay him soon after. And they would say, that's fine, because we know we got one of the top cornerbacks. That's something most teams haven't done. Think about it. If you think of the major trade, I mean, when's the last time a quarterback like Stafford was traded for? I mean, it's, it's a rare occurrence. How often is a guy like Ramsey traded? Now, it's one thing to have him where his contract runs out and he signs as a free agent. But to trade for him means you got to pay the jumbo free agent money and the assets to get him. No Von Miller, another guy they traded for, traded a second future assets and a for. Third, and his contract's up at the end of this year. The theory is he could just go. So, in the one hand, if the Rams push it all in and win, even if they're bad next year, it's still worth it. But boy, oh boy, I still don't think it's smart. But a lot of people thought it was not smart, and now they're backtracking. But it is almost like a referendum on this approach. Is, is the old-school approach right or trade uncertainty for certainty, but it's expensive? Any thoughts? Yeah, it reminds me of the Florida Marlins when they won their World Series. It was basically they won those World Series and then immediately just blew the team up because it was pay a ridiculous amount of money, and it's even more more difficult to do in the NFL because of a salary cap. But they said, no, we'll just start fresh from here because we invested everything it to, been to win right here. How's it been since? Not great for the Marlins. Oh, That's bad. <laughs> This is my class. This is an RJ classic. I would have made this bet 10 years ago, five years ago, last year, now. 
I love betting against the market uh, or, or <laughs> Freddie Fanny Pack. You know, that, love betting against AJ. Well, <laughs> your, when you do have your square ways, you do okay. have it occasionally. I Chase, wide receiver. Everyone's excited. Oh, going to be the offensive rookie of the year. Probably correct. They're right about that. He's unstoppable. Blah, blah, blah. Okay, maybe. Right now, the over-under for Chase is 78 and a half receiving yards. Now, here's one thing I know about the Super Bowl. One, I love betting against uh, Barney at the bar. And do you think Barney likes the over or the under here? Barney likes that over, baby. Okay. You don't have this over, do you? I don't. Okay. But what else we know about the Super Bowl is we know that with two weeks to prepare, whatever the obvious things you got to do are, you are going to get those done. Even if you have to compensate so much, it hurts you in other places. And because of that, I don't think it's just going to be Ramsey locking him down. I think some of that, some brackets, whatever. But I think Chase could have a monster. He could break one. But the good bet here, the smart bet, the bet that wins 55% of the time, under 78.5 receiving yards, Jamar Chase. That's the third best bet. You know what? Tomorrow, I'll give all three best bets before I give my fourth one to today.